Welcome to yet another episode of the It's Not Brain Surgery podcast. This is the AANS Practice and Business Management Podcast. I am your host for today's episode, Paul Camerata, and it's a real pleasure to uh, speak today to E. Hunter Dyer. Dr. Dyer has been a practicing neurosurgeon at Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine since 1994. He completed his neurosurgery training at UT Southwestern in Dallas. His practice focuses in minimally invasive spine, open vascular, and transnasal skull base. He's been president and chairman of the board of Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine from 2002 to 2022, so 20 years on the board and as president. So welcome to the podcast today, Dr. E. Hunter Dyer. Hunter, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Well, we're really excited because we know you have so much insight to give young neurosurgeons today. You've got all this experience. We've known each other for many years. Can you share any key financial tips for the young neurosurgeon who is just starting his practice? Yes. For people that are going to see starting practice, we frequently have conversations with them. I mean, there are some key things that we get them to try to consider. First, I think as you join a practice, you want to make sure that you talk to the manager of the practice and try to get signed up quickly for anything related to 401k type savings plans. Certainly, that's one of the first things to be aware of. Another thing is to make sure that they get covered on their disability insurance and get educated on that. There certainly are different programs. And a lot of times, a new physician can talk to a new partner they have, another practicing physician, get some suggestions on what they should do with disability insurance. Most of the time, doctors in our specialty can still get own occupation policies, so they can still be covered if they unfortunately have a health condition where they cannot be a practicing surgeon. They still frequently can work as a doctor, and so own occupation policies are key, and you want to get that started right when you get into practice. Talk about that just yeah. a little bit. So that means that I broke a finger or I had a finger chopped off, and I can't be a neurosurgeon, but I could still be a radiologist, whatever, and I would get still a, a neurosurgeon's salary or would I get to get whatever you signed up for as a disability benefit? Yeah, your disability benefits are typically limited by your current income, and you can get a percentage of that if you have an injury that prevents you from doing your specific occupation. So yeah, you're right. You could go back and do a different residency or you could work as a non-operative surgeon and you would get you know, that percentage of your income. Certainly, in most cases, it pays better to continue to work. So it's not like there's, right. there's anything yeah. ideal about being on disability from a financial standpoint, but you want to protect your family. And certainly most people that get out into practice already have children and it's important to do that. And, you know, you also mentioned, you know, right off the top, the 401ks and the retirement plans. When I've been thinking about when I was uh, starting out, everybody's looking at salary, 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 or, you know, what your uh, income potential is. But you rarely, or at least I did, <laughs> look at what can I be putting away? What kind of a plan do you have where I can put the maximum amount of, uh, of income away to help me out in retirement? Right. And getting to be part of a 401k plan is tax deferred and an advantage to put away as much as you can in that. And, and I tell the young physicians, I mean, one thing that's when you suddenly have an income and you really haven't had much income during all those years of college and training, 
it's important to know that a 401k plan over the course of a 30-year career or more really doesn't provide all of your retirement. So it is important Mm -hmm. for you to become a good saver. And that starts, you know, very quickly. I mean, I can, I'm sure you remember those days when you first get out, it's not like you suddenly have a lot of extra income. A lot of people are paying back debt, maybe have your first mortgage or your second home that you bought. And so it's important though, to, to try to sit down with your spouse, talk about your expenses and get a plan that allows you to save over and above a 401k plan, trying to catch up and save later. Sure. So when someone's starting a new practice, and you you mentioned not starting a new practice, but joining a practice, you recommended that they talk to somebody in that practice and sort of get a handle on how things work. I mean, you guys are sort of the model, you know, uh, large neurosurgery practice really in the, in the country. What do you specifically do with young folk that you sign up? Do you have them, you know, spend time talking to your manager, to your colleagues? Uh, do you mentor them as they come through, you know, seeing patients in the clinic, coding and billing, things like that? Yeah, I wish that I could say that we had have always done it perfectly, but we do try to have them. Our CEO has been a great resource for many years, and she's very good about meeting with them and discussing all these things that really, when you get into practice, I mean, what do you know about working with financial planners? So she's very good at helping with that. In fact, for our residents, she does a fairly regular discussion on the business aspects of, of medicine to try to inform them. And, mm-hmm. you know, over and above the financial stuff, it's learning about RVUs and about reimbursement and what we have to do in the clinic and all that stuff. So we try to do that. You know, we have a collegial group. And so it's always been helpful for the newer doctors to do some cases with as many of us as possible. A lot of discussion on the sidelines. And I think, you know, we've, we've definitely done a very good job over the years of mentoring and trying to inform new doctors about things that they should and shouldn't do. It always can be better, but we try to do a good job with that. Can you think back to anything you think that you didn't do quite right or that you would do differently now from uh, 25 years ago? You know, I think that we do a little bit better job now of doing sort of the yearly and two-year review with the younger doctors. I think back to 20 years ago and things were moving along at a fast pace and there were there were definitely people that I wish we had done a bit more of that. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about financial stuff, but just the, the business of being part of a practice, being a good partner, all of those topics. I mean, there's sort of an endless number of topics that you can go over with, with new physicians that help them, you know, in life and in business and in medicine. So in all of those. Is there a kind of a tier system that you take young folks through, like you're at a certain point in the practice or partnership here, and then after you've been here five or 10 years, you have the option to do this or that? Yeah, I mean, our practice has been structured a lot like other bigger practices. So typically, a doctor would have to finish taking their oral boards to be partner in the practice. Right. We've never had a, a huge buy-in to the practice, so it's not a big financial burden for somebody mm-hmm. to become part of our practice, but they do, um, you know, get access to other things. I mean, like a lot of practices, we have a joint venture surgery center and we have imaging and things. So they do have to plan ahead. You know, that's another thing. Financial is no matter what group you join or what system you join, or if you're joining an academic practice, 
you need to look ahead at what the options are for investment within that practice. Personal investments that you do with a personal financial manager that you do sort of on your own are, are often and good, but you have less risk with some of the investments that you do within a group. For instance, if you're able to invest in a building that you work in, you're basically paying rent to yourself over a matter of 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And those typically work out to be quite good investments. And our doctors have done a good job of trying to be a part of those. So those type of internal investments often are better than something you can get outside. Sure. Various practices have various ways of handling the disclosure of financial data. I mean, how do you share amongst uh, partners, the financial health, for instance, or dashboards. Do you do this on the, you know, universally or is it kept sort of at, a, at an upper management level uh, in your group? Well, a couple of things. We, one thing we did a long time ago is we realized that if we did monthly reports that showed your individual production, how many patients you saw, whether new patients, old patients, we send out a report that shows your work and total RVUs and your collections. Obviously, we don't have a whole lot of control over who's paying what for what things that we do. But just generating those reports, it's interesting how they go out on email. And maybe I do it more than others. But a lot of times, you know, I really pull that up right away because I'm curious. Yeah, well, I had a week off. I had a week off last month. Was I really dragging the group down because I was gone? And so intentionally, unintentionally creates competition. And, you know, in, in a practice, whether in academic, private or combination practice like ours, you really want there to be that internal competition. You don't need people trying to take cases from one another, but you want people working hard and all working towards a common goal. And sure. so I've, we found that to be very helpful. We do get into trouble, though, that you were talking about what information is sort of presented Right. What do you share? To the group. Yeah, it's kind of a fine line, I think, Paul, because over the years, I mean, if you have it, all of us doctors are fairly sharp, but we don't really need every individual doctor who doesn't have a business degree to look at every single number yeah. of expense and all that. And so it's a little bit of a slippery slope. I mean, we, we want to be transparent and we've gotten better and better about that, but we don't need 45 doctors running the place. So yeah. it's, it's interesting. How much of your time, just out of curiosity, as a president of, of a very large practice like that, how much of your time weekly would you devote to practice business in financial matters? Well, it's interesting. I turned it over a year ago to, to Mark Smith, and he's a wonderful doctor. And we kept a model really over the whole time that I did it, where I remained a full-time surgeon. I'm not sure that was always the best because <laughs> I could have spent, you know, a half day or a full day. And our group, as our group got bigger and bigger, there were obviously more and more issues that were business-related and doctor-related. Right. So I did that because, you know, for me, Paul, and I think you and I are a lot alike, I I wanted to be known as a surgeon. I didn't want anybody in, in my region to say, oh, yeah, that's the guy that runs the group. I mean, yeah, and, I've, right. and I've, yeah. I've tried to maintain my name as a good doctor and a good surgeon. And so yeah. I enjoyed doing it. I like leadership, but I did not take any extra time. My wife is very glad I've, I've transitioned off of this job because I don't have the morning meetings at 6 o'clock, 630. I don't have the, all the nighttime meetings three or four times a week. So it was a lot of time, but I did it after hours. Yeah, gosh, that's a lot of time. I, 
I hear you. So when I started, and when everybody starts, they have somebody who handles their finances. But I don't know that I made the best decisions. I invested money where they told me to invest money. But for instance, I I bought into a practice or that included a building and went to leave the practice or actually we sold the building while still in the practice, but I bought it and I owed a huge amount of capital gains that I didn't, you know, I never, I didn't build the place, but it appreciated so much. And those kind of financial decisions, like the person that invests your money isn't going to tell you. So, I mean, how do you handle stuff like that? Do you have another kind of advisor? We've been pretty lucky. I do think it helps to have a a financial advisor fairly early, even when you're the assets that you're looking at on the page are not that big. I think mm-hmm. if you find somebody you trust and they've, they've got a broader experience than you do, so that's helpful. In our practice, we've had, luckily, our partner CPAs that have been, you know, functionally our CFO within our group has been very helpful because he's not only a real bright CPA, knows our business, but he also has a good business mind. And I think he's advised a lot of us. I mean, I mean, even after all these years, when I see a real estate deal and some guys talking about the returns and the expected this and that, it just quickly gets above all of our heads. So I think it is important to find people you trust and try to learn about it. The same thing with, you know, you get brought all these potential investments that are related to the practice or not related and are they worth doing? And I've made my share of bad decisions on those and they're risky. I think a new physician should really stick to traditional investing, 401k, getting a good mortgage, finding a house that's a good home for the family and, you know, not getting into those riskier type investments until later. Certainly a lot of doctors are successful with those, but you have to be really careful with them. Just one last question sort of about your practice. I've known you for years as an open vascular surgeon, spine surgeon, best around. Can you talk to the young resident who may be thinking, oh, I'm going to be a spine guy, or oh, I'm going to be a a skull-based guy, how you can mix something like your practice in a tertiary care academic, and even a private setting. Sure. And, you know, I think way before my time, our group was really at the at the front end of trying to specialize physicians. And so when I got here, you know, we already had Craig Vanderveer and Tim Adamson. We had good vascular surgeons. And I would say that, you know, Craig looked at me a few times like, I'm not sure why you're clipping an aneurysm because I can already take care of that. So it takes time to break into, especially if you're already crowded at that level. But in our group, we have been, we've done a really good job of of sticking to that. So I do the things that I'm good at, and I have partners that do the things that they're very good at, and we really don't cross the line too much with that. So when we pick doctors or somebody decides to come to our practice, we really are looking at a subspecialty mix. And we certainly have not gone wrong when they're sort of best athlete available kind of mentality if you have a a resident that's so good, but sometimes they have to wait a little bit on their specialty to kind of open up. And uh, I got a couple of partners that can't wait for me to retire. And so um, (laughs) I'm trying to hold on. Yeah. Hang on, hang on. Okay. Last question for our interview here, Panthers or Hornets? Well, you know, Charlotte is quickly becoming known as the worst sports city in the country. <laughs> That's a sad state. Uh, the Hornets did win their first game. They won their first game the other night, so we're encouraged by that and hoping that the Panthers can get off this zero and, and six line here this weekend. Oh my so gosh, we'll I see. can't believe it. Yeah. 
Nah. Well, we were there at one point in time here in Kansas City too. We're on a we're on a ride right now, though. Fortunately, you're on a you're on a great ride, and it is exciting for you guys. And we've got Taylor Swift in town now every other weekend. Oh, I know. <laughs> every weekend. <laughs> oh man! Well, thanks for the interview today, Hunter Dyer, talking to us about personal finances and the finances of starting a practice. Uh, thanks for being our guest today, Hunter. Thank you very much, Paul. Good to see you. And thank you all for joining us for this episode of It's Not Brain Surgery, the AANS Practice and Business Management Podcast. Stay tuned for another exciting episode next week.